If you would, turn over to John chapter 13. John, the 13th chapter. Once you get there, John 13, just pick up there in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Is this right? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, all by myself, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not, save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, You're not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, and pay attention to these words, Know ye what I have done to you. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you this morning in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we ask, Lord, that you would meet with us here this morning. Lord, that you would walk amongst us that you would send your spirit to bless us, Lord, that we might see your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, high and lifted up in all his glory, and we might be drawn to him, that we might cling to him in faith. Lord, may everything that is done here today be to the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would direct our footsteps in all things and be with those who travel this day and be with our pastor and his wife as they're gone. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, when you examine a passage of Scripture like this one, here's a good hard and fast rule. Somewhere inside that passage of Scripture, there is a word sometimes or a phrase, maybe something someone said, maybe even a question that is given somewhere in that passage of Scripture, and it will give you the overall meaning of what that passage of Scripture is relaying 
And that holds true in this story right here. If I had to pick one statement, one thing that is said in this, this passage of Scripture that gives the whole meaning, you don't have to look any further than verse 12. When the Lord said this unto his disciples, Know ye what I have done to you. Why would he ask that? What was he saying? He's saying, gentlemen, did you get the illustration? Do you understand what I just showed you? And I think that's interesting. Know ye what I have done to you. When we use that in common terms, if you're talking about what someone has done to someone else, it's always in a negative. What did they do to you? Were they disrespectful? Did they hurt you? What did they do to you? But this is actually in a good way, the only good way it's used. This is the story, an illustration of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done to his people. Know ye what I have done to you. The Lord knew that his hour had come. That hour that this whole world was created for, the whole hour he was sent for, to die on that cross and to ransom his people back to the Father. And he was saying, you don't see it now, but I'm giving you an illustration. I'm giving you this type. It'll all make sense in a few days. But what I'm doing to you here now, washing your feet, this is a picture, it is a type of what's going to happen in just a couple days when I hang on that cross and I make all of you clean, all my people. Now, he gives two reasons in this passage of Scripture. They're hidden here. That our Lord Jesus Christ went to that cross. Look back down at verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Here's the first reason that he went to that cross. It has something to do with the Father. Look at verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. This is the very first reason he went to that cross because his Father sent him there. He is the anointed Christ. His Father sent him to that cross. And this is what he says in John 6, 39. You all know this scripture. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, not a one of them, but raise them all up again at the last day. That's why he went to that cross in obedience to his Father. His Father gave him his people, his elect, before the world ever began, and he went to that cross to single-handedly redeem every one of those people his Father gave him back to the Father. And this is the standard, the standard of success. You can't lose one of them. If you fail to pay for even one sin that one of my people commits, if you leave something undone, if you lose any one of them, you leave anything undone, it's an absolute failure. The only success is if this task I've given you, you bring them all back to me safe and sound, completely righteous, completely holy, completely perfect to where I can exceed, accept them with gladness. Now here's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that John 6.40 comes out, of, out after John 6.39. And this is what John 6.40 says. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Everybody, everybody who seeth the Son and believeth on him. And I have a question for you. How do you see the Son? Some see him as a great prophet, a great teacher. 
Some see him as someone to be emulated. Some see him as a martyr. Some see him as someone who helps. You have to do your part, but he helps. But here's how I see him. This is how every believer sees him. He is my salvation. In every way, in every shape, in every form, in every demand of God, he did it. It is him. My reliance is completely and utterly on him. And because of that, folks, we don't have to wonder whether the Father gave us to Christ before the world ever began. If that's how you see the Son, if He's everything in your salvation, your only hope, you're one He was charged with. He said you can't lose Him. Not a one of them. That is the very evidence of your election. And I love the certainty of what He says here. He says He knew He was come from God and went to God. What was the only way that he could go back to the Father and be received, to be accepted? A party was thrown, his great glory being known. How was the only way he could go back to the Father if he was successful? That is the only possible way. He would have had no reception if he wasn't successful. But he said before he physically went to that cross in time, I came from the Father and I'm going back to him. It's a sure thing. Why? Because all the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Because he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Salvation was a done deal before the world was ever made. All these things that had to happen, it's just God's purpose and will playing out in time. But all of them were already done. And he says with full confidence, I know where I'm going. I'm going back to my father to be received. And I'm bringing all of his people along with me. The second reason. Verse 1 again. It's the last part of verse 1. It says, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the very end. Was this about obedience to his father? Was this about him getting glory for himself? Absolutely. There was another reason. He loved his people. Those ones the father gave him, they were eternally united to him. And when he was loving them, he was loving him Self. It was love that brought him to that cross. And the Lord gives us a very small illustration that gives us, and I can't find a better word for this than this, his attitude about going to that cross. Turn over just a few pages there. Look over in John 16. John 16, and look down at verse 21. This is the illustration the Lord gives, his attitude toward going to that cross. It says, A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. He says it's just like this. You women, you get pregnant and you carry that child. That child is a part of you. They are in you, and you love that child before they ever come out, before they are ever born. You carry that child for nine months, and finally the time of birth comes. And what happens? Pain, suffering, travail. I've seen it a couple times now. It's nothing I'd want to go through. I'm happy you women do it. All that suffering, all that travail, all that pain, until... Until that baby comes out and they clean him up and they sit him on your chest and you hold that one, that one you've loved but not yet seen this entire time, who's actually been a part of you, 
and you hold that one and you count all that pain and all that suffering and all that travail as a light thing. That's why you do it so often. That's why women would have multiple kids. It's a light thing. No problem. It was all worth it just to have my child here. And he says, that's exactly how I feel about you. The pain of the cross, emotional, physical, the shame of the cross, his father actually turning his back on him and not, him not having his father smile. All these things, he counted a light thing for this, for the joy of having his people. That's how much love. He gives us that worldly example of that type of love. Now, we've seen why he went to the cross. Let's see the illustration of it. Go back to your text and look at verse 4. Verse 4 of John 13. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, I want you to imagine for a second you're there. All the disciples are sitting around this table, and maybe you're positioned between like James and John, somebody like that. Peter's on the other side, right? Everybody's fat, everybody's happy, everybody is eating. All of a sudden, the Lord gets up from the table. Mind you, he does not say a word. He's completely silent. He will give no explanation for what he's about to do. And in that very same room where everyone is sitting around that table, he takes off his clothes. He strips down in front of them. Now you can imagine, John's looking over at James like, what's he doing? What's going on here? Everyone has questions, but no one's willing to speak. Not yet. Peter will here in a minute. But no one's willing to speak. And then he takes this towel, this common and ordinary towel, and he takes it and he wraps it around himself. He girds his loins. And then he gets down on the ground. This is where people walk. This is a place of a slave. This is where a servant goes. He gets down on the ground, hands and knees, and he comes to each one of them. And he actually washes what is probably one of the most disgusting parts of the human body. The stinky, dirty, disgusting feet of all these 12 men. What do you see there? It's very simple. You see condescension, you see humility, and you see humiliation. Now here's the scripture. Philippians 2, verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The stoops, the condescension of the Lord Jesus Christ, God was made man. Altogether God, and yet altogether man. So much man that the scripture says he knew something. Jesus knowing that the Father had put all things in his hand. The Father had to show him things because he was a man. He was altogether God, and yet altogether a man, the great God of glory, the deity, became a person, inhabited human flesh. He was a carpenter. He was a homeless person. He was a preacher. Humble things, lowly things, despised things. That's what he became, that he might be a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. 
But the illustration doesn't stop there. He comes to the first disciple. He pours that water on the feet. And he takes that towel that he's girded with and he wipes the feet of that disciple. And when he got done, that was the cleanest feet anybody had ever seen in their entire life. Not a speck of dust on them. Where did all the filth go? It was all over that towel he wore. And then he went to the next one. And he washed his feet. And the transfer happened again. That towel took the dirt and he wore it on his body. And then he went to the next one. And he cleaned those feet. And he got through everybody. And when he got done, they were the cleanest feet you'd ever seen in your entire life. But how would the Lord look? He'd look an absolute mess. All that dirt was transferred to him. For he hath made him sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is the second stoop. The God of glory, that holy one who knew no sin, being made the sins of his people. I can't even comment on that because I don't know what that's like. That's how terrible it is. But it doesn't stop there. The last stoop. He died. The God of glory gave up the ghost and voluntarily died. What happened when he died? I would ask you this question. This towel that contained all that filth, where does it end up in the story? Did you see? You didn't because nowhere in this story, nor anywhere else in the scripture, is that towel ever mentioned again. He took our sins of all his people, everyone the Father sent him for, and he removed them so far that they removed as much as the east from the west is. And I'm thankful for this. It doesn't say he took that towel and he threw it in a garbage can to be found again. And he doesn't say he took that towel and went out to the wilderness and dug a hole and buried it in the earth. It could be found again. It simply doesn't say where it's at because it is gone from existence. And that's a state for every believer. Your sins... They're gone. They never happened. They have been removed from time. It's over, and now you have complete and other peace with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what this is illustrating? Could it be anything else other than that? No, it's that right there. Now, let's look at Peter's reaction to this. Look at verse 6. So before, none of these disciples wanted to say anything. Everybody was silent, but you can always count on Peter to have something to say. Verse 6, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And let's give him the benefit of the doubt, right? This is the same man who said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We can give him the benefit of the doubt and say this is coming from a place of reverence, a place of respect. Lord, this isn't right. It isn't right that the God of glory should condescend to become a servant, to do the task of a slave. Lord, is this right? We'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that. We can understand they probably all had this question. This doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right for the king to wash a slave's feet. But look at how the Lord answers him. Verse 7, Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter, you don't understand because in time it hasn't taken place yet. In two days after you deny me three times, after I've given up the ghost, after I've died, when you're stewing on all these things, this is all going to make sense to you. 
but it doesn't now. He's being patient with him. I'm so thankful for how patient the Lord is with his people. We just don't see things as they really are. We would never worry and we would never fret if that was the case. We just don't see things as they really are. But every day he's patient, long-suffering. But Peter's going to reveal something here. He's got a bad motive. Look at verse 8. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. We thought maybe this was reverence and respect, but this is not. This is resistance and this is pride. Thou shalt never wash my feet. I am not content to sit down and to shut up and simply wait on the Lord to wash my feet and make me clean. I'm not content to do that. I want to be a doer. I want to help. I want some glory in this thing. The doer gets the glory. Now, let me give you a physical example here. I've done this, so I'm not ragging on anybody. I've done it several times. You ever gone to a, uh, maybe dinner out with a bunch of people, right? Mixed bag of families. At the end, the waiter brings one check, right? And two guys, opposing families, they get in an argument over the check. And not in a bad way, like you pay, no, you pay. No, it's, I'm paying, right? I got it. No, it's my check. No, no, I got it, right? I'm going after it. And that seems nice, and that can come from a good place. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But really, what's at the heart of that? I'm the doer here. Everybody eats because I provide it. Everybody's going to thank me, right? Because I'm the one who provided the meal. I paid the debt. I got the check. I pay, you eat. That's how it works. And that's how Peter views it here. I'm not content to do this. I'm not content to just sit here and be served. I want to do. And the Lord says, if you want to do, you'll have no part with me. If you want to get involved... If you want to add something you do to my salvation, if you want to take away from my glory in any way, if you want to inject the flesh anywhere in this, fine. You are a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is made of none effect to you. This is where we have to be brought to where we are content. Only the Lord can bring us here to sit down and to shut up and simply trust Christ to wash us and make us every whit clean. All works excluded. That is easy for only one type of man. A lame man who can't get up. A man with a withered hand who can't reach down. A blind man who can't even find his feet. That type of man, he's completely and utterly content to be cleansed by somebody else because he can't cleanse himself. This salvation is for sinners. That's it. But a man who can help, he wants some glory in the deal. So he wants to get his hands dirty as well. Now, look at how fast the Lord can bring a man to repentance. Look over here, verse 10. I lost my place. It's here somewhere. Verse 9. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. The Lord said, if I wash thee not, You'll have no part with me. And just like that, when the Lord willed him to be brought to repentance, all of a sudden there's a complete change of mind. He said, what I meant was, Lord, not my feet only, but get my hands and get my head. And I imagine Peter being kind of a dramatic guy, and he's just laying back in the chair. I'm not moving. I'm not, I'm not, not helping. I'm not moving at all. Every single part of me, 
You wash every single part of me. You make me clean. My hands are off of this thing. And the Lord gives him a hopeful reply. This is a hopeful reply to all of us. Verse 10, Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean. He said, you're clean, Peter. Every whit, I've made you clean. Now all i got to do is wash your feet. What do you mean by that? That's an interesting way of putting it. This is something David said in Psalm 51. You all are familiar with that. That's a petition David made. He just asked for stuff the entire time. This is what he said in verse 2. He said, wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And he uses two words there, wash and cleanse. And when you first glance at that, you say, well, he's just saying the same thing. He's just saying it twice, right? He's not. Those are two separate words and they have two separate meanings. This is what cleanse means, the original word. Something that is done once, never to be repeated, an accomplished task. And that's what the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, his shed blood, did to his people. He made all his people clean. Once and done, clean every whit, all sin being taken away. But the word wash is used here. You know what wash speaks of? It speaks of something that is perpetually done. Every hour of every day, every moment, just a constant washing. Let me see if I can make this simple. Paul says this, he puts it this way in Ephesians 25, or Ephesians 5. He said, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. What does that look like? I belong to Christ. He died for me. Because of that, God the Holy Spirit comes in time and he crosses my path with that gospel. That word of sinner, you're clean. It's done. It's over. There's nothing left to do. Simply trust Christ. That's it. And God the Holy Spirit gives him that new man, and he raises up the head, and I am pointed to Christ. And I walk out. And I go out into this world, and I do the exact same thing you do. I muddy up my feet. I sin. I have wicked thoughts. I have wicked motives. Because the old man is still there and he loves mud puddles. He will step in them all day long. He tries to find them. I muddy up those feet and I come back. And I hear the exact same message again. Sinner, it's over. It's done. Christ secured your cleansing. It's all finished. Just rest. And the head is picked up again. And I come to the Lord Jesus Christ all over again. I believe on him again. And I'm washed all over again. My conscience is washed. My person is washed. Washed all over again. And this is the point. It is a perpetual washing. It is a perpetual believing. It is a perpetual coming. All these things are perpetual until the very day that we lay down this old man, this man of sin, and we see our Savior face to face and we are perfectly conformed to his image. It's all done. It's all been finished. But this is why we come back over and over again to hear what is the exact same message. You're cleansed. Every whit. Go out and then come back and hear it again. Now, 
I'll leave you with verse 13. The Lord said, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now we can use this and we can talk quite a bit about how he treated these men and how we are to treat one another. He acted in their best interest. He took the lowest seat and sought to serve them, not to be served. What he did for them was necessary and what he did for them, he didn't silence. Asked absolutely nothing from them in return and didn't tell one soul about it. We can extrapolate all these different things, and we should, folks. That's how we should treat each other. But here's what he did. He said, follow my example. To these men, he pointed them to himself. He told them one more time what he had done to them, made them clean. If you ever take a notion to wash my feet, if you ever take a notion to wash one another's feet, do it in this manner. Point me to Christ all over again. Tell me about him all over again. And tell me it is finished for sinners all over again. That's how we follow the example. I'll leave you there.